much of this is tied into our supply chain. Mm-hmm. If you look at our supply chain, um, there's cons- there are consumers and there's production. Well, consumers, actually, majority of consumers don't live in areas that are actually doing the production. And the areas of production actually are where you have a lot of uh, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans living in communities where there's large sources of production facilities. Those production facilities emit externalities. So one of the externalities is actually air pollution. Uh, air pollution has a myriad of forms across the board, but what, what you find is that people of color tend to live in communities that have more pollution emitting sources than any other community across the country. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Polk, and we are live in New York City at the Concordia Annual Summit with Crystal Upperman. Senior Manager in Deloitte's Government and Public Services Consulting Practice. On this episode, we unpack the dual impact of air pollution on health and social equity. In our exploration, we shed light on the disproportionate burden of air pollution faced by low-income communities, particularly those of color revealing stark health disparities among vulnerable populations. As we delve deeper, we connect the dots between air pollution and the COVID-19 pandemic, exposing the harsh reality that communities breathing in higher pollution levels experience elevated levels of cases and deaths. Join us in understanding the urgent need to address both environmental and public health challenges for a healthier, more equitable future. When the word sustainability comes to mind, what images pop up? Perhaps it's scenes of carbon emissions reduction, waste management, or maybe it's the sleek lines of electric vehicles. But here's the thing, these elements all snugly fit under the E of ESG. The E stands for environment, where the S and G stand for social and governance. Today we're exploring sustainability, honing in on the S, the social aspect of ESG. It's not just about the environment, it's much more. Our journey begins with the understanding that a truly sustainable future includes social equity. Consider this scenario. You live in a community where the air you breathe in makes you sick. It's a low income area and moving elsewhere isn't an option because it's the only place you can afford. Doesn't sound like a pleasant living situation, does it? This isn't a made up story, it's a reality for many. In manufacturing cities where a significant part of the community works, lower income areas often bear the brunt of higher air pollution levels. It's a stark reminder that the impact of pollution isn't distributed equal, in a harsh reality faced by too many. Joining us on the Green Hour is an often cited writer around climate equity. Crystal Upperman is a senior manager in Deloitte's government and public services consulting practice. Her past experience spans work that intersects environmental management, climate change, and environmental health. She served on the Biden-Harris campaign's Climate, Energy, Environment Policy Committee and contributed to the Resilience and Environmental Justice Subcommittees. 
She currently serves on the US EPA's Board of Scientific Counselors that advises on all of the agency's research. She is also a trustee for the Nature Conservancy's Maryland, D.C. chapter, a board member for We Act for Environmental Justice, a member of the advisory board for Alpha Center for Climate, Health, and Equity, and a steering committee member for the Environmental Law Institute's Emerging Leaders Initiative. As we explore the S in ESG, it's clear that sustainability is not just about reducing our environmental footprint. It's about creating a fair and equitable future for all. The story of air pollution in low-income communities is a stark reminder that social equity is an integral part of the sustainability puzzle. Now more than ever, it's crucial to advocate for change. It starts with understanding that clean air, a basic necessity, should not be a luxury. Our call to action is simple. Let's collectively push for policies and practices that ensure everyone, regardless of their economic circumstances, can breathe in a healthier and more equitable environment. All right, welcome back to the Green Hour. Today, we're talking to Crystal Upperman from Deloitte on climate equity and a really, really engaging conversation we're going to have. But thank you so much for joining us, Crystal. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah. So first things first, I want to understand what you do on a day-to-day basis at Deloitte. <laughs> uh, very interested. I actually have a lot of friends that work at Deloitte, not in not in the climate space, but more just management consulting. Yeah, yeah. So what, what does that average day for you look well, like? Well, I feel like I'm on like the talking block with my parents right now. They're like, <laughs> what do you do on a day-to-day basis here with this like firm called Deloitte? What do y'all do? And, you know, most people only know Deloitte for the purpose of like tax and audit, you know, right. that reason. And also, as you mentioned, um, a management consultant. But I'm on the consulting side of Deloitte, we Deloitte Consulting, and we help clients figure out sustainability and climate es- issues across the board. So we have a sustainability, climate and equity sort of strategic growth offering and practice that we've launched. The firm itself has invested a billion dollars over 10 years to actually bring into the fold solutions to address climate change. So they've made this grand scale commitment, and I'm a part of that commitment, helping clients address upfront. Up climate problems that they may have. So um, that's that's what we're doing. It was interesting. I mentioned that I have several friends that work at Deloitte. Yeah, yeah. I, I found myself really weird um, place um, in Talladega for a NASCAR race. Hey. Never, never been to NASCAR uh, before, but I look around and I was with a group of 10 people. They all worked at Deloitte. Every single one of them worked at Deloitte. And I was like, I'm around all these consultants. It's interesting. They all went to UGA. And, Georgia, okay. Yep, I went to UGA because I'm I'm from Atlanta. Oh, originally I should have I should have. Well, you know, Atlanta is a stomping ground. It's also been a mecca for a lot of people of color. Yeah. Where I went to Spelman undergrad. My oh, husband's okay. from Kennesaw, Georgia. So yeah, Atlanta is you know an epicenter for some of my life. So yeah, yeah Atlanta. Yeah. I love Atlanta. But one of the guys that I was talking to at this this NASCAR race, okay. that worked at Deloitte. He was actually on his laptop um, on our way there to Alabama, okay. and he was working on um, Delta's ESG report. So, oh, interesting. Because, so I was like, this is so interesting. I didn't know that you worked in, in the climate space, and he's like, you kind of just get thrown into a lot of different well, things. Well, I don't know who that fella is, but I will say across the board, I'm mostly on the public sector side, so helping public sector clients address similar issues. So. Oh, okay. I wanted to get talk about Deloitte, but then now I want to get into really the the, the core, the meat yeah, of what we're going to talk that. about. Let's do that. Let's do it out. The first segment we'll talk about is really the disproportionate burden of air pollution. You know, air pollution affects all, but really when we're yeah. talking about lower income areas. Yeah. Yeah. So first point, could we just talk about, you know, how low income areas 
areas of color often bear a disproportionate burden of air pollution. Well, I'm happy to share and chat about that. I'm going to start with, first of all, much of this is tied into our supply chain. Mm -hmm. If you look at our supply chain, um, there's con there are consumers and there's production. Well, consumers, actually, majority of consumers don't live in areas that are actually doing the production. And the areas of production actually are where you have a lot of uh, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans living in communities where there's large sources of production facilities. Those production facilities emit externalities. So one of the externalities is actually air pollution. Uh, air pollution has a myriad of forms across the board, but what, what you find is that people of color tend to live in communities that have more pollution emitting sources than any other community across the country. So that is where the, the genesis of the disproportionate um, exposure actually happens. And with that exposure, it actually is tied to health impacts. Um, if you have a higher um, incidence of exposure to contamination, you are more likely to have health outcomes that are either exacerbated or actually cause those health um, effects. So asthma exacerbation, for instance, is tied to air quality issues. Um, if you have cardiovascular diseases, that can actually be a trigger for you to have an episode. So these are all interrelated across the board. And that's like the, the essence of where it lies. I love the point you talk about the supply chain, talk about manufacturing slash production facilities. So I mentioned that I live in Atlanta right now. Actually, yeah. Atlanta. I live in Marietta, which is right it's outside. It's all good. Yeah. Cobb County. Yeah, Cobb County. <laughs> uh, but I actually grew up about an hour, hour and a half north of Atlanta in Dalton, Georgia. Okay. Which a lot of people know is the carpet capital. Yes, very. Textiles. Textiles. Massive manufacturing. But you talk about how people of color a lot of times are living in these manufacturing communities. That's what happened. That's what's happened in Dalton. Mm. Um, we have a huge Hispanic population. Um, I think... I could be butchering this, but I think it's over 50% of the population in Dalton is Hispanic. Wow. And really the manufacturing industry has created a lot of jobs. Yes. And especially, like you're saying, the textile industry. So, yeah, I wrote that down because, you know, I live there. Yeah. I, I've seen this. Yeah. Um, and I know that's just one industry. And I'm yeah, sure a, a lot of industries across the there board. There are a lot of industries. And, you know, it's really tight. There's there's a dilemma there. Um, and the dilemma is that you have like these industries that produce jobs, but then you also have these externalities that go hand in hand. And that actually ties in with this notion of the dress transition. As you try to get industries to transition away from using um, fossil fuel based energy forms and the likes or to reduce externalities, it then becomes an opportunity for you to actually create new forms of um employment because you're transitioning the economy as a whole. And the idea around just transition is, well, if you are phasing things out in one sector, will the people who are getting their livelihoods in that sector, are they going to have like first dibs at the new sort of careers that will be coming into the fold? So it's, again, another conversation in the climate equity portfolio around the just transition too. So again, I just wrote something down because you, you, yeah. you hit my mind again. So I went to I went to school in Pikeville, Kentucky, okay. old coal mining town. All right. And what happened in Pikeville, in Pike County specifically, you had a huge industry of coal, mm -hmm. right? This is where a, a large percent of the population was working. It's where yep. they were getting their income. Yep. And as it started to phase out, mm -hmm. you had these people that had spent their whole lives in the coal mines, and you didn't give them anything else that they could transition to exactly. in employment. So that's a whole other conversation to have. Yeah. And in Pike County, there was a huge epidemic of, of narcotics. Yep. Eastern Kentucky and West Virginia and Virginia, that tri-state area. 
because of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the issue in Appalachia is definitely one that's dire and serious. And, you know, people generally, when you characterize black and brown communities, there's, there's also low-income white communities that this matters to also. People who have been a part of, you know, coal or oil and gas production. I mean, that is a huge swath of our economy. But again, that underp- that's the underpinning of the just transition. You mentioned it earlier in your first point, but I want to dive a little bit more sure. into, Let's go. into the health impacts of air pollution on vulnerable populations, including children, older yep. adults, and those with chronic conditions. So could you talk on the health impacts of air pollution? Yeah. Well, actually, so that assumption is changing. So a lot of the research that's been done early on has shown that, you know, there are impacts and more adverse impacts for folks who um, are as we deem vulnerable to air pollution. But the air pollution concentrations that we're seeing present day actually is such that it's it's unhealthy for most everyone. So when you see wildfire events that have been happening, most recently the ones in Canada have impacted air quality on the east coast of the U.S., you're seeing that it was unhealthy for every single person. Whether you are expecting mother, you have young children, you're an older adult, you think you're healthy and fit and you're outside running, that air quality level is generally unhealthy. And that's becoming more of the case. Another thing that you know research has shown and we've seen is that in addition to the air quality that's unhealthy, we're also seeing the ozone season, which is the time period in the year in which ozone, ground level ozone forms due to it being warmer than usual, has grown substantially. Generally, the ozone season used to be from the beginning of May and end at the end of September. Now ozone season begins at like the beginning, middle of March and goes all the way to beginning of November, um, which is pretty significant shift and change for expanding exposure to air pollution. Another thing is that with that warming that we're seeing, longer season of warming, longer season of air pollution in the atmosphere, this is also what we're seeing is that trees are actually greening earlier in the spring season. I don't know if any of you have allergies or allergic to tree pollen as a whole, but trees are blooming earlier in the year. And it's not just like the pollen that's blooming. Um, that's happening because there is an increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. The the bio concentration of pollen that's being emitted is more severe than in the past. Now you're putting pollen in the atmosphere in addition with a longer season of air pollution. And it's been chemically shown that pollen reacts with air pollution in the air to create a hyper allergenic form of air pollution. And so for folks who weren't once allergic to air pollution or allergic to pollen can actually become more allergic to it. So it's impacting even healthy people's health in the present moment. Yeah, I would say that, again, growing up in Dalton, Georgia, manufacturing, obviously there's a lot of emissions that come up in the atmosphere. I have, I don't want to say severe allergies, but I'm allergic to everything outside. Every tree, every type of grass, pollen, Mm. and I actually grew up getting allergy shots. So Actually, before I came here, I, I was starting to feel a, a little bit of allergies coming on. And yeah. I think the season's changing a little yeah. bit, the yeah. pollen. But uh, Yeah, we're going into ragweed season. But I think when just your personal experience thinking about that, that's impacting your quality of life, how you show up to work every day, whether you show up to work, whether you're productive. And that impacts our productivity across the country. People are missing days of work because they're ill. Extreme heat, they can't work outside more than they usually can. It impacts our productivity, and our productivity is tied to our GDP as a country. So it's why a lot of this stuff is really important. It's not just about the impacts across the board, but it's also about the economics that tied to it. Right. 
So I want to take it back sure. to uh, 2020 um, when COVID-19 oh, happened. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, everyone was affected in a different way of COVID. Yeah, I, can, I, I, think I can say I played, I played college football mm-hmm. and our team was, was very affected. Season got canceled. Yeah. We're sent home, getting tested every single day. People were impacted in different ways. But one thing I want to understand is this connection between air pollution and the increased vulnerability of diseases like COVID-19. Yeah. Well, you know, this was like groundbreaking research that came out of Harvard University um, research group by Francesca Dominici out in Harvard. They had this groundbreaking research of early data that came out about COVID-19. And what they saw was that communities in which had very poor air quality, a historical um, history of poor air quality were also the communities where we had a higher measure of deaths from COVID-19, meaning that there is a population that were more adversely impacted by some of the underlying, they shared underlying vulnerabilities to COVID-19 that also made them more vulnerable to air pollution. So that's the underlying perspective there and the research that showed that it was pretty much groundbreaking for decision making around where to deploy resources and where to deploy messaging to protect lives. Hmm. So the final question I'll ask you, and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah, certainly. As far as Deloitte goes and the work that you're doing, you said that you're working more in the public sector. So when addressing things like air pollution, what is Deloitte doing to, I guess, combat that? As a company? As a company. Oh, well, we actually have measures in place where we each have a carbon footprint um, ourselves for travel. We are held accountable to that. So we have to be very mindful with how we travel, where we travel. Um, we have a we have sustainability in place internally to the company where there is a recycling program across the board. So we're holding each other accountable. And it started with the travel. People generally think about consultants as like we're always on the road, but that's shifting and changing. And our clients are holding us accountable, especially on the public sector side. You know, everyone's waiting for, you know, whether or not these carbon accounting rules are going to come in place for corporations. And what that generally means is that we will have to answer to all of our clients that we're serving uh, about what we're doing because that goes into their accounting also. Mm. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for coming it's on today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, I mean, I've definitely learned a lot um, talking to you. Well, and it's I, good to talk to a Georgia person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cobb County. Cobb County. All so, the way. Yeah, so thank you again. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me.